Welcome to the Sober Vibes Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Anderson. I decided to end my decade-long love affair with alcohol in 2012 at 29 years old. I chose to live openly as a recovering alcoholic with honesty and humor while figuring it out one day at a time. This space will bring you weekly episodes of my own personal experiences with my addiction and sobriety, as well as me interviewing incredible souls who are living life without drugs and alcohol. This podcast is here to inspire you, empower you, uplift you, and bring you some laughter along the way in your own journey. Sit back, relax, and let's have a time. Hey, welcome to the Sober Vibes Podcast. I am your host, Courtney Anderson. You are listening to episode 56. Today, I have a wonderful guest on the show. I just I love I love her story, the hustle. What she has turned her business into is pretty amazing in her own sobriety. But first, make sure to check out my Sober Focus coaching program if you are needing help in your sobriety. Come join us for June. So today, my guest founded Dope, which is edible cookie dough, and it is so good. If you haven't heard of Dope yet, check it out. All the links will be in the show notes. And this was one thing that I actually, I ordered in early, early January. And then, you know, I was very sick my first trimester of pregnancy. And this was something I actually could eat, and I would be fine with it. Of course, at nighttime, I would have this little snack, but it's so good. And I told Kelsey that on the podcast today. So welcome, Kelsey Morea, to the show, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Kelsey, thank you for joining the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very excited to talk to you. I love your mission. I love what you have done in your own sobriety. So again, I appreciate you being here. Do you want to start off of when you got sober? Sure. And yes, yay for sobriety. I'm just excited (laughs) that a podcast like this even exists. So thank you for (laughs) letting me share my story. And yeah, you want me to take it back? Yeah, take it back. Tell us. (laughs) Enter the time machine. So I am going to be six years sober this September, and it is kind of hard to believe because time just starts to go by so fast, and it is all pieced together one day at a time, but it's pretty crazy to think how long it's been since I made this decision, but yeah, so much cool stuff has been able to happen since. So for me, if I look way back, I got this opportunity to join Intel when I was 16 years old, and I was going to be an intern, work part-time through the school years and full-time every summer. And it was such a cool opportunity, but kind of on the heels of the beginning of my journey with anxiety and undiagnosed anxiety, you know, as a kid, just feeling so intense all the time, very, very intense perfectionism and issues with like always needing to be perfect all the time. And when I first discovered alcohol, it was like, you know, I think summer of my, after my freshman year of college or something like that. And like blacked out the first time I ever drank. And it was this Mm -hmm. feeling of like, I didn't have to be on, you know, I didn't have Mm -hmm. to be so perfect. And I think that I really leaned into that as the years went on. And with this jump into sort of corporate America from my childhood days and, and how intense it was for me to want to perform now, not only at school, but also in the workplace And I really leaned on alcohol. So these times for me became more like when I did start drinking, it was very hard for me to ever know when to stop. Like after I had had one, I was 
it was going to be too much. You know, I wasn't able to just stop and say one's enough. I, I never wanted the night to end, never wanted the party to end. You know, I was always just so I would just throw myself into it. And then the repercussions would follow, you know, many, many mornings waking up being like, what happened last night or being in a great mood thinking like, Oh, last night was so fun. Right. We had a blast. And then everyone around me is giving me like the stink eye. And yeah. I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, uh, like, no, it wasn't. I did. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it was like, just, it was almost like living a double life. Cause like on the surface, things looked so fine. And I think that's something that excites me about being able to share my story more broadly these days. Like it doesn't always look the same for everybody. Being able to say I have a problem with alcohol doesn't have to look like you're living in a ditch and you've lost everything and, you know, the world's crashing down around you. It's like this slow crumble of the world, like underneath me falling, but it all looked okay on the surface. I still had this great job, you know, it was going towards 10 years at Intel by the time I got sober in in 2015. And, you know, it was just this light bulb. I was on a business trip in Barcelona and, came to it like 3.30 in the morning in a stranger's apartment and having to yet again, pick up those pieces, figure out what I had done and apologize to the people that I loved that I had mm-hmm. disappointed. Not only my own, you know, personal safety and personal relationship, it was like, I'm not able to respect myself and right. my welfare, but those around me, you know, I was just, I just had this real clear as day morning. I was like, I never want to feel like this again. I never want to apologize for stuff I don't remember doing anymore. I don't mind doing stupid shit, but I'd like to be voluntarily doing it. Right, right. <laughs> if I do it, if I, I might still embarrass myself, but at least I chose to do it. So I really just wanted it to be done. And I, I called my Nana, who was like my best friend. She was 21 years sober when she passed away. And she had sent me many a letters over the years being like, you know, I think it's, it, I think you should stop drinking in very mm-hmm. light, gentle words, you know, as, yeah. as grandmothers do. <laughs> There's all those things. I remember shoving the letters in the desk. Like I could barely read because you just, you have this guilt. You don't want to face that. Like, you know, you probably should stop drinking, but you don't want to face it. So when I finally called her that morning, she was, you know, very excited to get that call and said, I think you should find an AA meeting. (laughs) And I'm in Barcelona, mind you, on the first day of like a week long business trip. And I found an English speaking AA meeting that morning in Barcelona. And I have not had a drink of alcohol since. So it's been a really cool journey since that moment. Congratulations. And I think that is so amazing that you had your grandma as a support for you there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was like, I don't know, just this final like merging of our friendship, you know, to yeah. say like we're in this together and have someone else that really gets she, you know, had checked into rehab all those years back and, and got sober and had stuck through that most of my life, you know, my life and memory that I could have since she was 21 years at passing. Mm -hmm. Um, She got to see me at one year sober before passing away. So really, really cool journey that we got to share together in that. And I hope we don't have to share it with any other generations to come. I hope we can somehow learn our lesson in this family, but you know, it does seem to follow the genes. So I'm here to help anyone that needs it from here on. Yeah. Well, and you're making a choice too, you know, with, if, if you end up having a family or whatnot, that you already made the decision to stop the cycle, mm-hmm. you know, when you going back to your drinking, cause this is what I would like to know. Cause this started with me like right away. Were you always a blackout drinker from the get? Yeah. Really from the get go. Yeah. I mean, 
you can't see me if you're listening to this, but I'm like five, two, and I just broke a hundred pounds when I left college I mean, left high school, I think. So, you know, I was always really small and I always had a big personality, like the biggest person in the room. So it was like, I drank like I was three times my size and, and I just could never know when enough was enough. You know, I just, I think it was just that longing for like the night to never end. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted everyone to keep having fun. And I was like, no, let's just get one more round or let's just, you know, just one more shot, one more keg stand. Let me, sh-, you know, this like over the top, like all eyes on me. How can I do the next step? And and I don't know, I guess deep down, like enjoying that piece, like I said, of not having to think or be on or be so perfect. It was like this weird release and society shows you that like that's cool like partying is cool and that's how you'll be hip and fit in and it's like I was again struggling with these like dual sides of like wait but I like school and I'm getting really great grades and then also but I want to hang out with these you know party kids who weren't really my friends for the most part you know just many people that thought I was a good drinking buddy and yeah until I was like throwing up in their car so yeah yeah, until until about mid until about midnight when people started hating you and then either had to take care of you or you turn I always refer to it like when I turned into a gremlin and then no one (laughs) wanted to deal with me after a certain point but people still continued to call and enable because they knew I would go out and Mm -hmm. be that good time gal with them until that certain point it's a really fucked up cycle 100%. Yeah. It's like, you're, you're like the butt of the joke, but then they want you to be back again the next day because you were so much fun. Yeah. And Um, then that's, and then that's where you as a per, and then when your friends or family members address you saying that you have a problem, you're like, okay, I, I do believe that people (laughs) who have drinking issues, they know deep down inside that they have drinking issues. So I always knew when somebody told me that. Okay. But then I'm like, but you, you drink with me. You asked mm-hmm. me to go out. Like, how can you be telling me that I need to reel my drinking in or, you know, maybe I shouldn't drink so much or do this A, B, and C, but you're right there with me, wanting me to yeah. take shots and be your your co-pilot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. hard. It is hard to justify. And I think there's people who experience different aspects of it as well. You know, there are some people who only see the fun first, you know, three, four hours of the evening. And then there's the best friend and the boyfriend who are the ones constantly carrying you home or going to find your keys the next day or, you know, whatever the fallout was. So some people that were closer to me had more of that continual burden and reminder. And Mm -hmm. some who had just had the fun party were like, wait, what? You're, you're not going to drink anymore. Like they couldn't understand why I would stop. Like I was so fun and like, it seemed fine and look at your great job. So yeah, it's, it's funny what a contrast it is and that you really have to take full inventory of like everything that's going on the full picture. Mm-hmm. So from the get go, it was kind of blackout, but as you each year went by getting into your corporate job, it just progressed and got worse and worse and worse. Yeah. It just continued, you know, just like the same where you could pass it off in college and you're like, oh, it's just college drinking days. Like this happens to Mm -hmm. everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though I was already on the excess meter of all of that, you know, and even like the number of days of the week that we would drink and party and everything. But when I got out, it was interesting, the places that I started to discover my habits with drinking. Like if my boyfriend at the time would be out of town, I was very conscious to not have a drink when I was home alone. I really it's like this weird, I should have seen this as a warning sign, but like, I didn't trust myself. I didn't think that I would be able to stop if I opened a bottle of wine. And then like, if there's no one there to look after me or take care of me, what's going to happen. And I was honestly like too scared. So I just didn't start. Wouldn't, wouldn't drink when I was by myself. And then, you know, this is all post post post-college and 
realizing that like I was the only one of the, like the grown up friends to go and be the one puking after we went to the bar that night or, you know, start a fight with someone in the bar or just silly things that were so unnecessary. You also start to notice the, I started to notice like the monitoring of like not wanting my, you know, then boyfriend to see me ordering another drink and like feeling like I wanted to get another one, but I needed to get it where he couldn't see that it was my next one mm-hmm. or you know, just, it was like, you had this overall sphere of awareness that like, you have a problem with alcohol and there's a couple people in the room who know it. So by nature of that, my like corporate trips became the really dark place. You know, that became where I really like went out because no one around me knew that I had a problem with alcohol. And it was back to the college days of like, you know, your coworkers were taking the place of those fun drinking college buddies and you know, on these sales conferences or whatnot. And it's everybody's letting loose and everybody's having a good time. And of course, you know, I was having too much of a good time, almost like missed my flight a couple of times, like was blackout drunk coming back from a business trip and tried to jump out of my boyfriend's car on the drive home. Oh, I did that um, one time. <laughs> super fun. I'm like, I can somersault. I've seen a movie, right? Like, I, I tried that crazy. once. Yeah. It's just wild. I mean, you know, there were a couple of those like ultimatums from him of like, if this doesn't change, I'm going to leave. But it was just, it's never enough until it's enough for you. You know, you really have to make that internal decision that there wasn't going to be a relationship with myself or anyone else that would be healthy again until I stopped drinking. So just had to wait until it was my time to figure that out, I guess, even as it took a few more years of pain. Yeah. Isn't it crazy though? Cause I remember too, I mean, when, are you still with the guy from your drinking? Okay. Awesome. Amazing husband of mine that I'm with now is, is not the same guy. And it's, it's kind of a blessing that you have someone who's only seen the you, you, you know? Yeah trauma in the last last ordeal so yeah my husband him and I were together for a year and a half of of the last of year and a half of my drinking so I'm mm. very happy that we've been together now more sober than like an active addiction oh, but awesome. yeah. I used to do that shit in front of him when we would go out where I would go and take secret shots because you know when we would be out he would be like please just have one or two drinks like I I just that's where the relationship went to where he was just like I don't I can't deal with with a night. And I'm like, okay, no problem. Or then when we would get home, he would go to bed and I would be swigging Jameson out of the bottle in the kitchen, hiding it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this sneaking around kind of thing. You don't want them to notice. Right. Right. Exactly. So, and what age did you get sober at? I was 24. So you were, you were young when you got, you Mm -hmm. got sober. What would be some of your tips for somebody who is in their early 20s, wanting to get sober, what would you recommend for them to do? Because that's, that's a very hard one, that early, early 20s. Yeah, you know, I just can only think back to like, what my concerns were when I first stopped. It's like, I thought, how will I have any fun? I have more fun now than I ever had when I was drinking. And I have deeper, more real relationships with people than I ever had when I was drinking, you know, friends and and significant others. So like, that that is just a whole new lens that I didn't realize I was actually unlocking. I thought I was going to lose, you know, the ability to have fun or like, what would I do with my friends? And um, I still went to music festivals. I still went to, you know, concerts and I still had a great time in my twenties, but I didn't need alcohol to do it. So I got a greater level of confidence moving into sobriety than I had actually like masking it with the alcohol. So it's an uncomfortable transition, but like to anybody that is in the early twenties, like, you can do it and you're not the only one. I think I really felt like going into the rooms of AA that I did, 
had amazing people. I got to see a lot of examples of others who were like, you know, in their forties and fifties who had gotten sober at my age. I got a couple Mm -hmm. of those who were like, this is what you have to look forward to. You know, I have this whole family now, but I didn't really see those. I didn't see anyone else my age in it. And, you know, it's just worth branching out. There's like so many online communities to link up with. She Recovers is one of them that, you know, my company works with today to support that foundation, but She Recovers, there was that event Sober Voices recently. So there's some really like fun, I'll use hip. I know I'm like a millennial now and Gen Z is is the cool one, but like, and they're pretty like hip things to become a part of, to realize that there's others in the same age group that are sober and, you know, you can do it too. And the movement around mocktails. I mean, for me, this like idea that I was in my early twenties meant being social was going to continue. I just had to find a way to have fun in my version. And so for me, like having a mocktail or having a cool non-alcoholic beer was something to look forward to. So when I got to the party, I didn't feel like this loner with just a glass of water in my hands or something. And, you know, I could have my fun drink to look forward to. So I think if you're in your twenties and wanting to still, you know, go out and socialize, it's just like, have a plan. And if mocktails or NA beers work for you, you know, make sure you bring something fun that you look forward to at the party so that you don't get sort of cornered with the like, oh, we'll just have one. It's fine. It's so-and-so's birthday. You know, there's so much like real in your face pressure. So be really, yeah, just be ready to stand behind your decision and whatever excuse you want to tell in the beginning, it's your decision to share what you'd like and and stand by that because people will ask and will press and and that's the thing. And that's, that's something you can't get away from. You just mm-hmm. can't because it's because when it comes down to it, hu- human beings don't know boundaries. Yeah. And so when some people don't have boundaries with themselves, you cannot expect them to have a boundary with you. And you can't like take it personally. You just have to be like, okay, this is their thing. It's not mine. And keep like yeah. telling yourself that because you have to be very, you have to get extremely uncomfortable mm-hmm. in early sobriety to be comfortable within the long run of this process. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, people want a drinking buddy. People want someone to do what they're doing and you just can't let them push that on you. And, you know, it's, that's sometimes why I really like having a mocktail or something in my hand. Cause then it looks like I'm drinking. So there's less questions from a new person, perhaps that doesn't know me though. Once you get past, gosh, I think once I was like 28, 29, like it just, I I got less, you know, pressure or questions. I think people start to mind their own business, but in the early twenties, there is a lot of that, like people wanting to have you partying with them. Or, you know, I remember standing at outside lands, this music festival in San Francisco, and this guy's passing around this camelback. He had snuck in with vodka and everybody's taking a shot out of it. And, you know, it comes around to me. I'm like, no, I'm all good. All good. Like you take it, you know, go on to the next person. And then he's like, no, come on, just one, like, just do it. And then gets the whole group chanting. Like, and I'm like, I I'll chant with you guys for someone else, but I'm really just not going to do it. I'm sorry. I'm like, you know, I'll have this. I think I had a glass of kombucha in my hand or something like I'll chug the rest of my kombucha if it'll make you happy. So it just, yeah, the, the pressure gets really intense and you just have to be confident that your decision to drink is way more important than any single moment of pressure from an outside person. Cause it's not their soul that's going to have to live with the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's not, by even having that one sip could lead into, you know, one drink, a thousand drinks, whatever. And it's not, their body just might not react the way you react to alcohol, you know? And, and I am sure it came to a point, like we talked about same. It's just like, I couldn't control what was going to happen once I started drinking because Mm -hmm. alcohol and me just did not agree. 
Yeah. Yeah. I totally, I got that same realization in the end. It's like, it just didn't react the same way with my body and emotions and like reactions as it will with yours. So yeah, we're just, we're just different. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. And that, and that takes a while to accept and like, you know, and it it just takes a while to get comfortable with yourself and your decision, but just, you know, it was the, the right decision. I wanted to make it work for so long too. You know, I wanted to fight that, that like it wasn't going to, it didn't work with my body. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just have, you know, tequila only, or maybe I'll just have wine only, or maybe I'll have just beer or one water after every drink. And it was almost like this jigsaw puzzle that I kept trying all these different variations until I realized like, look, just point blank, like alcohol itself does not work with me. And I just needed to cut it out. And it, I think the true decision to, get sober and stay sober is, is really why I had to say, like, even, you know, you mentioned like, oh, just one sip, like it really, that one sip. Yeah. It isn't worth it. Cause it was like this slippery slope of it's, it's one sip. Oh, but then for example, like, oh, try my drink. It's really good. You know? And it's like, I just can't try one drink because then what if like someone else's drink is also really good that day. And then I have a second yeah. sip and then I, then I'm like, you know what? I will order one. It's just one. And so it was never worth it to reopen that door. And that was really hard to come to terms with because it was like, you have these mental battles of like, well, but would it just be one? And, you know, I had tried to get sober at 21, but in a reset attempt. So I said, oh, I'll stop drinking for four months and then I'll be able to drink responsibly. Like I thought it'd be this magic time trick. And after the four months, I'm like writing in my journal about how great I feel and how much clarity I have and how excited I am to just be able to drink responsibly now. (laughs) And it was like... (laughs) Total. Yeah. The giggles, right? Like it's a total farce. Like that was never going to fly. And within three weeks I was already blacking out again. And Mm. so the beginning it seemed fine. I was like, look, I just ordered half a glass of wine. Like you can get a half glass at a bar. Like I didn't even know that was possible. And like I had half a beer and you know, these, these events worked for the first couple of weeks and then, you know, then you're right back to it. So the story started replaying itself over again and took me a couple, you know, three more years after that to yeah. And enough was enough. But you say it's funny about that half glass because I used to, in my bartending days, I used to have a lady who would just order half glasses of wine. And then at the end of her sitting, she would actually drink almost two bottles of wine to herself, but that's how she always <laughs> ordered it. was just half glasses of wine, you know, and it's just, it is a thing of, it's just like that moderation and trying to control. It's just when you already have the problem, it's, you can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. It just was not going to work for me. So, and this is quite a debate, you know, in the sober community of people who think that moderation can work versus, you know, really stopping drinking. And I feel like that story I just told is exactly that, like all these attempts to do moderation. And at the end of the day, I just don't work well with alcohol Mm -hmm. and it's not important enough to try and keep it in to any extent. So Mm -hmm. I guess if like the repercussions of drinking have been severe enough for you to consider not drinking or alcohol has not added value to your life, why is it worth it to try and like finagle in this moderation concept versus just, just giving it up and knowing that you can have just as much fun, a more fulfilled life and, I mean, it's really like unlocking a superpower when you get sober versus alcohol. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's 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 different. So in your sobriety and recovery came something very beautiful. Do you want to share about your company? 
Yes. Dope is like my baby. <laughs> I gave birth <laughs> to this beautiful thing after, after getting sober. Yeah. So as I had mentioned, I was working at Intel for all these years and I, I did love what I was doing. I was learning a ton and was in product marketing. So very exciting to learn at such a, you know, corporate scale and, and structured company, but topic wise, you know, maybe not my, I love technology, but it's not my diehard passion to sell gateways or anything like that. So yeah. no offense to the internet of things. It was very exciting, but I really got this opportunity to explore what Kelsey loves, like what makes me really excited when I got sober. Cause it was like, now this outside of work time, I had, I felt like I had like a extra calendar, you know, I had so much free time open up and I got to start exploring what I really loved. So dove into a bunch of different, you know, hobbies that I wanted to try again. And I uh, used to bake a lot as a kid. So I'd started cooking and baking a ton nights and weekends from Intel and bringing in some of the baked goods into the office. And so enough kind of nudges of like, Hey, this stuff is really good. You know, you should sell this. And then I'm like, sell this. And my brain starts going like, <laughs> Hmm. Like, I don't have any entrepreneurs in my family. And like, we've watched Shark Tank a few times, but like, mm -hmm. that could be cool. You know, maybe I could, maybe I could do it. So I ended up moving down to a new job inside of Intel, a new role in the company in San Francisco and long wanted to get to SF. And then really this entrepreneur idea got some extra buzz behind it. You're in every coffee shop and it's like, people are just buzzing with like their passion, right? And they're so excited about the company they're working for or the business they just started. And it really is infectious to be around all that energy. So it was July of 16 that I got to SF I sort of put my baking, you know, just for myself, I stopped sort of selling things to coworkers and stuff. I was doing like event cakes and cupcakes mm -hmm. and cookies for coworkers. And so kind of put it on the side and said, I'll jump back into Intel. But at the same time, my own personal baking had veered into the land of veganism. I was being like a part-time vegan. It was cool to try out in the Bay Area. <laughs> and I was using butter, but not using any eggs in my recipes. And so now these cookie recipes I'd been long time making were safe to eat raw and I could bake. So I was saving like a bowl of it in my fridge and then baking some cookies. And I thought my energy and like open mind that sobriety gave me, gave me that time and gumption to like really put my brain towards starting a business from like the idea hitting February of 17 till April 20th launching dope. And I said to my friend, I want to make a really dope dessert company. And so she was like, ah, oh, dope could have dough in it. Like you have to call it that. So dope was born. We make legit cookie dough. It's eat it or heat it. So you can eat it raw or bake it into cookies. And our entire mission is to use this platform to break the stigma around mental health and addiction recovery. So we had shared a little bit about my sobriety on the first like grand opening for a physical store for dope. It was like a kiosk on Market Street. And we said, if you come up and say it's dope to be sober, you'll get 20% off in celebration of mm -hmm. Kelsey's sober birthday. And I got all these messages in of people being like, whoa, like me too, you know, just tons of varying stories of like, mm -hmm. I'm also sober and it's really cool you're sharing this or do you know of good meetings in the city? And I just thought, what a conversation that should happen louder. You know, it seems like there's so many people out there that want to talk about this. And if they're willing to write a cookie dough company about it, it seems like there must not be a lot of other people they can talk to right. about sobriety right. and like just how stigmatized it felt, you know, and starting to get the first questions from people of like, oh, are you going to tell investors that you're sober? And I'm like, heck, yes, I am. Like, I can't right. wait to tell them. <laughs> right. Like, I'm stoked. It's like, it means I'm even more present and like more responsible that I said, hey, something wasn't working in my life. And I changed it. Like, how cool is that? So mm -hmm. 
yeah, the whole company, I, I formed the Dope for Hope initiative, and we're really here to try and make an impact on these issues. So a portion of every sale from Dope across the entire company um, is donated to a nonprofit that works on mental health or addiction recovery, usually a combo of both. And for 2021, it's the She Recovers Foundation. So uh, they are kind of that combo of both. They provide life-saving resources to women that are in or seeking recovery from substance use disorders, uh, eating disorders, life challenges, mental health challenges of all kinds. So yeah, they're really amazing. And it's just having a purpose behind what you're doing is just all the more exciting. It was already pretty fun to sell cookie dough, but this is just an extra level. That's It's really nice to have an impact on real lives. Oh yeah. And it's wonderful. And I have to say, I have to add in here. I ordered a uh, dope <laughs> in my first trimester. Okay. And I told you I ordered it, but I didn't tell you how this happened. But so I ordered it in the first trimester and I was so sick in the, my first trimester, but I would eat that at nighttime. And that was one of the only foods I could stomach. <laughs> oh my God. That's awesome. I need this in a testimonial. <laughs> That's so, great. you know, so <laughs> it was just something at nighttime, like sweet, but it was so good. So I really, really strongly for people who are listening, get you some dope. And I love the name and the mission behind it. And this is the great thing about sobriety. There are some talented, talented, creative motherfuckers out there, Kelsey, and you are one of them for bringing mm-hmm. that to light. Like, honestly, I just love I love these companies and you just love, I love to see people of what they end up doing in their, in their, you know, post addiction life. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's all this potential within literally every single person. And for me, alcohol was just this doling, you know, just this like pushing down of any other outlets and creativity and exploring what I really wanted to do. You just like, it had me on autopilot, you know, I was just like, okay, go to college, do really great in college, get a good job. You know, like that was going to be, that was the path. Like, and then I fast tracked it, like got that job at an early age and was able to like, keep it going. And that was just going to be it forever. I'm like looking up this giant corporate ladder thinking, okay, so in approximately, you know, like five years, maybe they'll actually give me a direct report. And then like, it's going to take another five years to be a director. And then, you know, it was just this long path of a very long ladder. And that didn't, that didn't even bother me until I got sober and I realized I can do so much more than this. So it really was, I think like that term unlocking is like the best description of it, that it really unlocked like who I was supposed to be and dope let that flourish. So I just have a blast, you know, running this company now and we've served more than 350,000 spoon liquors. Yes, (laughs) That's amazing. It's it's really, really cool. (laughs) Do you only ship that in the United States? Yeah, United States, but also Ontario and British Columbia. Okay. All right. Just in case somebody uh, is listening and needs to know that. How nervous were you with Shark Tank? I did want to ask you that. Literally the most nervous I've ever been (laughs) in my whole life. Like, you know, people say like, oh, I'm going to pee my pants. I'm so nervous. Like, that was the actual feeling of like, I can't stop my bladder (laughs) going to pee. It was the craziest thing. Like, you really have just a wild physical reaction to like the moments before they open the door for you to walk out. I had been flashcarding for like the two weeks prior, like studying all my numbers, like crazy, really, really prepared on like the strategy and the ask and what I was going for and what I believed in. Obviously like very passionate to tell my story and why it's like the most amazing cookie dough ever. But mm-hmm. when it was about to start and they're counting down off stage, yeah, I was like, it was full on the most nervous I've ever been. And then they open the doors and you have to walk down and hit your mark. And then I just 
nailed the pitch. I'm so proud of myself. I did not, you know, I'd literally been walking up and down the streets of SF, like saying it out loud, practicing. So I was just like talking to myself, full emotion, doing it on the street, you know, really endlessly. Like I must've done it like 500 times. So I was very prepared. (laughs) But when you were out there, how long did that take? Like once you hit, you know, they tell you to go out there and then how long is that pitch usually? Yeah. So I was out there for an hour and 15 minutes, which is mind blowing. You know, they only showed, I believe the entire segment for me is eight minutes. So each person is like, you're basically like one to some, I think the longest was like two hours, two Mm -hmm. hours and 15. You're there until everybody's out. So they don't have a time cap on filming. It's just like, you're there until all the sharks are out or you made a deal. And so for me, I was an hour and 15 and it flew by. I, I was literally like, oh shit, that was like 10 minutes. Like, I can't believe how quick that ended. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wait, time warp. Like what happened? Mm -hmm. It was really, it's an out-of-body experience. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I usually always ask to our guests, like one one question just to kind of get to know them more at the end of the show, but what would be one lesson that you learned in 2020? Oh man, 2020, what a big year of lessons for us. I, I mean, I know everyone I'm sure thinks, pivot is like the word because whatever you were doing in your life, you pretty much had to adjust it somewhat. And for dope, I mean, we went from being completely brick and mortar focused in 2019 with literally $50,000 of online sales in 19 to our entire business. Like 98% was online in 2020. And we more than doubled our sales, like our overall you know, yearly sales, even dropping our storefronts to nothing and and actually closing the last storefront in 2020, we did 2.5 million online. So the ramp up and having to just stay patient and like, just put the nose to the grindstone and just do it. (laughs) So I don't know, I guess 2020's lesson was like, just go. And, you know, we really made quick decisions, some of which bit us and it was costly to turn around, but like we had to, you know, we had to really make decisions quickly and just, you know, make the moves that you needed to make in that crazy time that it was. And this year, you know, it's like nice to feel our feet on the ground a little bit more. We're working on going into grocery stores starting this summer. So there's a new, like new pivot and learn kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, luckily the online business is still going and growing, but like the new thing for us, I feel like we're kind of back at the beginning of 2020 when we were looking at online. Now we're doing the same thing with retail being like, okay, what are all the pieces? You know, it's just, it's amazing how much you learn as an entrepreneur. I'm just constantly like diving into a whole new realm. Oh my God. Please get into Kroger. <laughs> it's on the list. Yay. <laughs> we're um, on it. Because that's the grocery store I like. But did you ever think though that those online sales would have happened in 2020? Oh my gosh. I mean, I would have had no idea. It was yeah. even so we really started focusing on uh e-commerce in late 2019. My husband uh, joined as co-CEO in the business and Mm -hmm. he was, he's very ops in finance. So he's like, we need to get something else to be strong, like our brick and mortar is. And so we started the wheels in motion in November of 19 to make an online business happen and like start paid ads and really start to understand email marketing. And that was all brand new. And then it's like, you fast forward, we were literally more than doubling our sales each month from like November until, you know, February. And then it was like four X in March. And then we did another, you know, three X to April. So really insane, like how quick it grew. And I just, I would have never guessed that we'd have such success in e-commerce. Like we thought it was going to be a good extra channel, but maybe like 20% of our business, not become a hundred. So, but it's very cool. It's like, you know, it goes to show that our product 
and our mission is just like so heard and desired around the country. We are so widely distributed. We're not just in like the metropolitan areas. Our orders are like very, very evenly distributed across the country to all the little cities in between. So it's really cool to see and to know that we're getting this like mission out so broadly. So yeah, you're doing, you are doing a phenomenal job. And I just have loved since you and I talked last fall, love seeing the love seeing dope and, and trying it. And like I said, it, it agreed with me that first trimester when (laughs) others did not. And my husband loved it too. So where can people find you? Yeah, so we're at Dope and it's D-O-U-G-H-P, like the word dough with a P on the end, at Dope on Instagram and Facebook. And then it's dope.com to place an order. So that would be amazing and would love if everyone gives it a try. And yeah, it's just good stuff. Makes you feel good. It does. It does. And it's tasty. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey, for sharing your story. And, you know, we'll be talking. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.